I'd like to welcome our next guest, Rasts Elisheva Martinetti. I'm fascinated and excited to hear all about her journey. She was born in Northeast China, where there isn't a large thriving Jewish community, yet she managed to find her way home to Judaism. Tonight, we're going to hear her story, and to do that, we are honored to have Rabbi Moshe Gutnik, the senior Diane of Sydney Beth Din, and the rabbi that came along on the journey with her to interview her. Thank you so much, Rabbi Gutnik. Elisheva, are you there? Yes, I'm here, Rabbi. Oh, hello, how are you? Baruch Hashem, good. Have a baby? She's good, Baruch Hashem, growing up. <laughs> okay, Baruch Hashem. I'm just going to ask you a few questions just to lead you into you speaking, okay? okay? Okay, so the first question is, how on earth were you introduced to Judaism in the middle of China? Okay, um, just a little correction to what Tali was saying before. Actually, it's not there isn't a thriving Jewish community in China where I was from. Actually, there were no Jews. There are no Jews. There's no Jewish community. Um, let's say 24 hours by train, um, imagine a circle, there's no Jewish people. So growing up in China, I was educated um, you know, under the communist regime, I guess you could call it. So my mother always wanted to um, look for something different than what the government was trying to teach her. So as a teacher, she understood the, the, the curriculum very well. Obviously, that's why she didn't want me to follow the communist ways. So she decided to look for a teacher, somebody who can teach me what she thought would be MS Truth. So at that time, um, Baruch Hashem, Hashem sent us a very special man who himself is a Chinese national and not Jewish, never met a Jew in the past, but somehow when he was in his college years, he like learned about different religions and different ideas. And one of those ideas was Judaism. So he basically introduced the idea of uh, Yiddishkeit Judaism into our lives. And my mother obviously sort of hopped it. She grabbed it with uh, enthusiasm and she inspired me to learn more about it. So how and when did you realize there was only one God? Um, initially, I was 11 years old when my mother told me about God, because um, prior to that, the only mention of God ever I heard about was in biology class, where the teachers um, told us that um, there's no such thing as God. Um, and those people that believe in God are old-fashioned people and, you know, they're a bit weird. So um, you should believe in, you know, evolution, the Big Bang, whatever theory there is, but just not God. So my, when my mother first told me about it, I was very confused. And I thought this was some sort of hocus pocus that, you know, the teachers were sort of, you know, talking very negatively about. So I resisted the idea. I didn't want to know about it. I thought this was just one of those passing phases of, you know, sometimes mothers cook up different ideas and one day they want to be more nutritional. They start cooking only broccoli. So maybe this is one of those that, you know, talking about God. But um, this teacher, as I was mentioning before, this very special Chinese man, gave us a little booklet, um, miraculously, I guess. Um, it's a compilation of selected stories from the Gemara translated into the Chinese language. So my mother was definitely in love with the book. And so she was reading this book to me all day long, wherever I was in the house, you know, I was going to sleep. She was reading me a story of Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Yoshua. When I was eating supper, he was reading me a story. So slowly, I guess it started sinking in. And I myself wanted to know what this is all about. 
So um, on the summer holiday from school, one day I decided to look into this book myself. And the first page had only one sentence, which was a quote from the Gemara that says, whoever denies idol worship is considered a true believer, a Jewish person. But obviously, as you know, this is very taken out of context, but in my 11 year old mind, I was Jewish already, because obviously I didn't believe in any, any idol, any God, I don't bow down to any stones. So that means I must be a true believer, I must be Jewish. And um, from then on, I pretty much started learning more about um, Judaism and I slowly picked up more mitzvahs as well. Okay, I, I, I hear from what you're saying, and it's so obvious that your mother was the, your primary cause. How much, how much was your mother involved in your conversion? So um, when I was learning about Rabbi Akiva and his 24,000 students, I remember he said, Sheli v'shelach shelach. So he said, everything that I and my students have all belong to my wife. I guess I could say that about my mother. Everything I have, my, my daughter and my students are going to have, actually all came from my mother. When did you first start keeping Shabbos? Um, so after learning about um, Judaism in China for a bit, um, I finished reading this very thin booklet and I was very um, passionate about doing everything that a good Jew should do. And so I finished reading this booklet and I didn't know where else to look for more information. So at this point, my mother asked this man, teacher of ours again, and the teacher said, if you want to learn about true Judaism, you're going to have to leave from communist China because over here, you will never have the chance of learning real Judaism. So my mother said, how could that happen? Because, you know, where I was from, Northeast China, my city is like the Siberia of Russia. It's very far and the mentality is very behind. People are very, you know, brainwashed. So the teacher said, you're going to have to do what Hashem told Avraham to do, which was you have to send her out of China. Now, this was quite a statement because it's very, very difficult for a Chinese girl, a minor, and someone with no relatives overseas, no backgrounds to leave from China. Um, there were many, many challenges for me to actually begin the journey. But Baruch Hashem, my mother was very determined to send me out. So she actually sold our house to fund my, my journey to Singapore, a very small Asian country that used to be part of the British Empire. So there is a very um, thriving Jewish community, a Chabad house there. And when I, when I joined the community, I started learning more about real Judaism. And um, that's when I started keeping Shabbos as well as um, all the other mitzvahs. There's some story about um, you wanted to keep Shabbos so much that you used to hide and sleep um, somewhere. That's the story. <laughs> yes. So when I came to Singapore, eventually I was um, like 15 turning 16 years old. And um, I was very, very shy. Obviously, my English was, was nothing near what, you know, what I'm like now. And I was, um, I had this, this, this shyness that I wanted to escape from, from attention. I didn't want people to think I was weird coming to take advantage of the community. So although I really wanted to take on all the things, I just didn't want to sort of pose myself there waiting for other people to help me. I had my dignity. So I tried to keep everything I was learning in secret. And um, I learned about um, Shabbos. Obviously, you can't travel by bus or by bike 
or so I had no way to really get back to where I was staying in Singapore. Um, initially, I tried to to walk back, but it took me four hours, and it was it was. I was, I, was, I was sweating away by the time I got home and I decided I had to think of a different plan to keep Shabbos Friday night without having to travel. And um, there was really like nowhere for me to go. So I decided I'm going to have to stay in the community building. But like I was saying before, I didn't want people to know that I was there. So I used to hide in like the bathroom. Once like um, the, the people leave from, from Friday night service and one sort of the community was closing, I would just slip into one of these places and I would wait until the morning comes and, and join like the morning service. Until, until um, the Rebison discovered you? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so is that when you formally started learning about Yiddishkeit? Um, I guess you could say that if you call like my learning in China formal, I mean, I was um, very serious, even when I was reading this booklet back in China, I took everything literally. So um, when I was reading about um, a Jewish person needs to pray to God three times a day, I didn't realize there was a siddur, like, you know, there's a set text you need to read from in Lashon HaKodesh in Hebrew. So I used to formulate my own prayers. And when I read about how Abraham used to build like this stone structure called the Mizbeach to to call out Hashem's name, I thought that was how a Jewish person has to connect to Hashem. So I used to do that. <laughs> I used to take out like, you know, these uh, cooking oil from my mother's kitchen and go to the garden and find stones and make up like a stone structure, what I thought was the Mizbeach. And I used to call out Hashem's name and I would say, you know, a long <laughs> speech to Hashem in Chinese. And I felt extremely inspired, I guess, if that's considered, you know, formal Yiddish guide. <laughs> Where did, your, where did your actual conversion take place? So um, it was in Sydney with Rabbi Gidnik and um, two other Diana. And um, after learning in Singapore for a year and a half, roughly, um, I met Rabbi Gidnik some months after I arrived in Singapore. And Rabbi Gidnik was helping me with, um, you know, syllabus and to sort of giving me a structure to know what I need to know and how to live a Jewish life. And I started learning and slowly, by the time I came, I was 17 years old to, to Sydney and Rabbi Gitnik helped me to become officially Jewish. Okay, and then afterwards, what did you do? You went to Kesatora? Yeah, I went to Kesatora College. And then where did you go after that? After school, um, after high school, I went to study in a seminary in Sfat. It's called Beis Hana. And I was there studying for two years um, where I met um, a lot of really good friends, um, which is important because that leads to the next chapter of my life. <laughs> um, most of my friends from seminary actually came from London. So at the end of seminary, everyone was discussing what to do the year after and beyond. And I was, I didn't know what to do really. And my friends invited me to come to London and that's how I ended up here. Okay, and, and just for the, the for the listeners should know that um, being able to stay in Australia was um, at the a gift from the Australian government, who um, when it became clear that Elisheva was Jewish, the government said, well, we don't know how Jews are going to fare in China. So she got a um, travel documents and all the benefits that, that um, Australia can give. So Baruch Hashem, the, uh, the gifts came literally from heaven. And I can testify with my very own eyes that Hashem has walked with Elisheva every step of the way, 
seeing miracles that Hashem has just made it possible for her to be able to do the things she has to do. And I'm sure that it's all a result of her commitment and the way she came closer to Yiddishkeit starting out from, from China. So w- what are you doing now? So now I am teaching in the Lubavitch Girls School here in Stanford Hill, London. I teach girls all different kinds of subjects, um, Chomash and you know Jewish studies as well as math, which I was quite good at in school. <laughs> Back in China? <laughs> like also in Kastara. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And what else? And and do you go sometimes go to other schools besides the the um, Lubavitch school? Yes. Yeah, so I don't know how much you know about the Stanford Hill community, but it's like um, a mixture of um, Chabad and um, Sfari, Persian, as well as different kinds of Hasidim, like from Ger, from Bobov, and different you know different communities. So there are several seminaries here and schools as well. Sometimes they would invite me to come to speak. And um, I enjoy speaking to them actually a lot. They got so fascinated that, that I basically traveled around the whole world through different Jewish communities without even a passport. <laughs> so, Baruch Hashem. Okay, and um, tell us about um, Hannah. So Hannah is my daughter and she just turned one year old actually last Shabbos. Um, she's a miracle. <laughs> um, I lived in London six years before I got married. And Baruch Hashem, we now have a little baby girl. I named her Hannah after the Rebbetzin, Hannah, the Rebbe's mother, as well as um, a person that I was very close to, whose name was Mrs. Hannah Muller. She was this um, elderly lady that I stayed with for two years when I first arrived in London. And we were like mother and daughter in the community. Everybody knew us. And when, unfortunately, she passed away um, now four years ago, I wanted to... I thought to myself, Hashem, when I have a baby girl, I'm going to name her after her. Okay, so Baruch Hashem, have you, you do you, um, is there something, um, a lesson that you can share with us, something that, that has been a, a guide for you throughout your life, some special message to tell us? So, there are two things perhaps I want to share. First thing, I actually had this quote printed out when I was in seminary. Most of my friends had family pictures from, you know, siblings, um, weddings and nieces and nephews, which I didn't have. So I decided to put up a statement which really spoke to me um, throughout my journey, which was, there's nothing that stands in the way of will. In other words, that when a person wants to come near to Hashem, regardless what situation he or she finds herself in, himself in. Hashem is always there to help. It takes sometimes a little patience and a little persistence, um, but eventually, um, as long as the person wants, you will see that Hashem will put enough good people, right people, and it will put you in the right place for good things to happen to you. That's one thing. And the second thing is that I wanted to say that life is full of um, opportunities. Sometimes people will call those things challenges and difficulties. But as I was learning in seminary, it says that in order to get oil from the olive, you have to press it. So too, in order to reach a person's essence, to make the person live to his or her full potential, sometimes Hashem is, so to speak, pressing the person with different types of tests and challenges. That's what really helped me throughout my journey. Whenever things got tough and difficult, I just thought to myself, this is another exam from Hashem. This is another test that I need to get past. And if Hashem gives me that test, it means that he also gives me 
the, the ability to overcome it. I hear Hannah calling in the background. Before we go, just one last question. Have you been able to see your mother again since, since China? So, Baruch Hashem, I saw my mother twice after I left China. The first time was actually 11 years after I initially left. When I first left China, my mother and I both had this mutual understanding we might not see each other again because of the difficulty involved um, in getting me a paperwork to leave the country and eventually I wasn't able to go back to the country. So throughout um, those 11 years, um, things were emotional, like I missed my mother, but I couldn't actually see her and she couldn't come to visit me either. But Baruch Hashem, when I got married around, you know, nearly two years ago now, my mother came to London to the Hasana. And um, that was the first time we saw each other. And, and again, she came after my daughter was born a year ago. And um, Baruch Hashem. Well, Baruch Hashem. So I want to um, bless you with the same uh, bracha that Rus got, because your name is um, Rus Elisheva, the bracha that Rus got, that Hashem should be with you. And he must protect Hashem the um, Hashem should be with you and should give you your reward, which is which has come to you because you chose of your own free will to come under the um, takas, under the divine presence of Hashem. And Amen. you can have lots of nachas together with David and Hana, and it's always a pleasure talking to you. Amen. And Rabbi Gunnik, I want to give you a bracha that you should have arichas um, yamim, long, healthy, happy years that you can help many more people like me trying to come close to Hashem. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much, Rabbi Gutnik and Rus. What an amazing journey. And thank you for sharing with us the sacrifice and the fate of your journey and how you managed even in a place where there were no Jews, as you said, and where there were so many different challenges, you actually managed to find your way home and at such a young age. So thank you so much. Thank <laughs> you.